tasty vibes there. That's called Laredo 77. It came out back in 2007 under the name Brownout, which is one of the many musical projects headed up by my main man, Adrian Quesada. Call him AQ. He's a guitarist, producer, band leader, and all-around kick-ass dude. I'm Jeff Skin Wade. You're listening to Radios and Tunnels. And the reason that we have AQ on the show today is because his latest project, The Black Pumas, is absolutely blowing up. And in my little old humble opinion, it's the coolest thing he's ever involved himself in. And that is saying a lot. He won Grammys with the Latin group Grupo Fantasma. You hear the vibes of Brown Out. In fact, they did another project called Brown Sabbath, which was a cover of Black Sabbath tunes done in a Latin funk style. He's done psychedelic projects, rock projects, even Afrobeat-style projects like the Ocote Soul Sounds, in which he teamed up with members of the Antibalas Afrobeat Orchestra. But after all of that, we arrive here with the Black Pumas. And it's a union with him and Eric Burton, the singer-songwriter from the Left Coast, and they sound so great together, perfectly matched. Eric's got a miraculous voice, a great writing style, and the production chops of AQ accentuates that perfectly. It's now grown from just the two of them to a full-fledged band. They're touring the United States, they've already been to Europe, and things just keep looking up for them. But I can't tell you how geeked I was the first time I heard Black Moon Rising on Spotify. I knew AQ had been working on this sound for a while. I knew he was excited by it. But when I actually heard it, man, I was blown away. Under the rain, Great vibe. Love the production and the music and Eric's voice. I think it's all so cool. In fact, I love talking about this record. I've told everybody about it. Nobody that I've recommended it to hasn't loved it yet. And I love talking about it so much, I wanted to talk to AQ about it. Well, they're out on the road. I caught up with him one night a few weeks back. He's in a hotel in Pittsburgh. He's on his cell phone. But you're going to love what we talk about. We talk about the recording, how it came together, his journey through music. We talk about when he worked with Prince. And maybe my favorite part is we talk about how his family feels about his music. I think you're really going to dig it. I remember you were looking to do a project and you were looking for singers and the project you were describing that you were going to do, I'm assuming this is it because the description that you had given me, this is what the record sounds like, and it seems like you found the the perfect guy for this. So I kind of want you to take me back as to what you were looking to do with your music career and how you ended up here. Yeah, so so um, in two thousand summer of two thousand seventeen, I made a record for uh, Amazon Music, even Amazon Originals uh, album in conjunction with National Records out of L.A. and it was a uh, album called Look at My Soul. The focus was kind of a um sort of a loose take on Texas soul and specifically the intersection of, of black, brown, and white music that happened in Texas that made soul unique in Texas. You know, it heavily leaned towards its Latin roots because of the proximity to Mexico that Texas has. So I was sort of doing a loose, um, you know, album based on that era of music of the 60s and, and early 70s. And... Um, I was uh, originally going to make an album of covers for that, and just and uh, I was talking to a couple people, and uh, a friend of mine, a producer who I really respect, I told I was telling him about it a few years ago, and he said, "Why would you just make a record of covers when really the people 
that dig that kind of music are going to prefer the original 45s and whatnot. He was like, why don't you just write new songs? So 2017, I started writing some originals for what would be that Look at My Soul record, and I was going to make it half covers. And There was just some songs I really wanted to pay tribute to and then also write original music inspired by that. So I, I had a couple of months to really start writing that project. I sat down and started writing, and all these songs started coming out. After about five songs, I knew that that was not the Look at My Soul album. Something else was happening. I was like, oh, God, I'm off on this other tangent. I'm going to keep writing this. And... uh you know, about a month or two went by of me having this, like, really focused writing period where I started writing this other kind of soul music that wasn't what, what I was supposed to be doing. You know, uh, I get distracted easily in the studio. But I put that aside, came back to the Amazon album, the Look at My Soul record, and uh, started working on that. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do with all these other ideas I've just started? Um, and it was kind of the music I've been I've been hearing for years, and I just was never wanted to do it. And it, it was just... I was always hesitant to really em embrace and fully just make some soul music. You know, I've always been influenced by, as, as, as you know, forever and probably have been writing songs like this for over 15 years. I've just never fully committed to the idea. I don't know why. I think it maybe just seemed to me like there was a lot of bands already doing that. And I just always like to do something a little different. So I had a, a gang of songs that I thought, God, I just really need somebody to take this over the top I kind of slowly started putting the feelers out you were one of the people I asked um, literally asked around the world friends in London friends in LA friends in Paris and people would send me ideas and check out this singer check out that singer and it was like I didn't know what I was looking for but I knew what I wasn't looking for when, so when I'd hear um, you know suggestions I never really quite jumped on it uh, and eventually somebody connected me and led me to Eric Burton and that was it as soon as I heard him I was like oh, okay this is it this is what I've been this is what I've been holding up for is incredible um and i saw you guys live a couple weeks ago and i've seen you guys live twice now and eric is you know his voice sounds great on record and you know how we know how people do when they start talking about something they go well he kind of sounds like this or he kind of sounds like this but there was hearing the the music that you were creating and hearing his voice and the way that he sort of phrases things, it, it reminded me of one specific song, and is it, it's the Seal Johnson song, Is It Because I'm Black? And there's like a mood there, and that's the song that's actually been sampled. I think it was on the Ghostface record. I can't remember, Hollow Bones, or maybe that was a Wu-Tang record. But the feel of all of that, his voice, the soul that comes through his voice, some of the ideas, your production, it just captured that. And... I don't know if that's what you were going for or, or what the idea was, but whatever you guys have combined to make as someone who consumes a lot of different kinds of music and I've, you know, gone on retro trips and bought original records and I like the newer old sounding stuff and all that. I just think that it doesn't sound like you guys are just copying an old style. I think you've just found something that fits y'all's abilities. And so it sounds new and old kind of at the same time, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, you know, that was very much the idea, and that's what I think I jumped on, you know, that Bill Johnson record in particular almost kind of has this, for lack of a better word, kind of folky vibe to it, mm-hmm. you know, compared to, like, a lot of soul music, you know, there's a, there's kind of acoustic guitar, um, it's kind of psychedelic, but not overtly psychedelic, you right. know, again, it's, it's the basis for, a, you know, a Wu-Tang sample, um, it's got all the elements that I love, what I, what I think I loved about Eric right away was you know a bunch of people sent me oh have you checked out this singer and a lot of the people were um, had already fronted you know kind of a retro soul throwback bands and that's exactly you know and I love that stuff like it's not a knock on any of that I just didn't I couldn't bring myself to do that I was like there's no way I could like put on suits and go out there and say like Eric Burton and the whatever you know right again not a knock on that genre I just couldn't myself do it um but I saw him the first thing I saw was a video of him on YouTube and it was him playing an acoustic guitar and it was kind of on that Phil Johnson trip. And, and I, that's how I knew it. I was like, that's the guy, this is the guy right here. Hope, you know, assuming if this pans out, this is the guy I'm, I'm interested. That was the only person I reached out to put it that way. Uh, and when we, Eric and I, the first few times we got together, he had never really written to other people's songs like that. He'd guessed it on a few hip hop songs for people. Cause you know, he's got that voice and, and other things, but he's never, he'd never really immersed himself or anything. And I actually purposely didn't give him any references. I just was like, you know, he would ask and I just said, just do your thing, man. I really just don't, don't even care if this sounds like anybody else at this point. Uh, and, and that's what I think, uh, really kind of made the whole thing special to me. I was like, God, you know, we're, we hardly discussed anything you know or any music references we we hardly ever said like oh it's got to sound like this one record you know um he's not uh eric is not with you know uh, a music historian or digger or anything like that like a lot of people are in that in this world right he's just himself he's natural and it's it's that's what you're hearing is him he did end up you know i mean clearly he's he's uh familiar with you know the classic soul uh you know genre and and uh but i think he and he definitely felt like he had to kind of study up a little bit on some stuff to to sing on some of these tracks that we're working on but again that's what i loved about it was it was it was almost this unspoken thing that that was coming together that i just didn't want to interrupt so i just uh everything he threw out pretty much completely worked i mean i never really had to jump in and say no man we should make it sound like you know whatever song I love the idea, too, that he's not copping anything and that he's not inf- – I mean, everybody's influenced by stuff. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's got yeah. their sphere of influence. But that, hey, we need to sound like this. Like, that's not a thing. It's He's he's just being him. He's a very, very dynamic performer, and his voice has a lot of soul. But you, I, I want to ask you about this. The the first stuff that come out – the first thing that came out by you guys was Black Moon Rising. And that, Mm -hmm. like, that's the moodiest, to me, the moodiest song on the album. Or maybe, I don't know, for lack of a better term, trippiest. Or I don't even know Mm -hmm. where I'm going. But the feel of it is unique. And then the next thing you guys put out is Fire. And that Mm -hmm. almost has almost like a Baby Huey vibe, you know, on the groove. And Mm -hmm. then the horns. And it's just, it's killer. Uh, And then I felt like I started to understand the... The width of or the depth of what you guys were doing with colors. I woke up to the morning sky first. Baby blue, just like we rehearsed. When I get up off this ground, I shake leaves back down to the brown, 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 till I'm clean. Hey! 
because I'm wondering, I almost felt like knowing you a little bit, knowing a little bit about the project, I felt like Black Moon Rising and Fire were, were songs that you came up with the music and he fit something to it and that maybe Colors was a song where Eric started off with the idea and you started working around that. Is that accurate or am I way off base here? No, you're, 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 you know, I, if anybody has heard uh, my, my music, I know you, you're familiar with it. So yeah, they, um, that was exactly how it went down. So originally when it started was him just singing on my songs. But again, the first, you know, six or seven recording sessions we did, we never said this is going to be a band or Black Pumas. It was just for fun. I mean, we'd get together once a week or, you know, twice a week and just kind of exchange texts and say, hey, how's this afternoon? And it was really casual. We never really had a plan for it. And um, it wasn't until we really had a bunch of songs to sit on that we were like, oh, okay, this is this is something special. But yeah, I kind of see it in phases. It was like phase one was him coming in and singing all my songs, which kind of took took a little bit of uh, work for him. To, I kind of took him out of his comfort zone. And then when we uh, decided to make it a band, I think it was the end of 2017, I remember kind of leaving town for the holidays and talking to him and saying maybe we should just play a couple of gigs and just this will be fun to play you know at this point we're we're uh putting some time into it and that's when we kind of kicked into the phase two which was then digging into you know he's a prolific songwriter in his own right but most he's pretty much largely performed solo or bus been busking so i love that idea of him with an acoustic guitar so then we you know we pretty much had an album's worth of music done of him singing on my tracks but it felt a lot like a producer album it felt like mm-hmm. him singing on my track right which I, I just didn't feel like that's what this should be and uh that's when we started kind of when we became a live band was when he started bringing in his songs that are just him on an acoustic guitar and at that point you know i knew the kind of sound we were going for so i was arranging those for the band and uh and then that was kind of phase two, and I feel like that really kicked it into high gear. And then I love that the album is kind of just in between those. You know, there's some that are songs that are kind of heavier on the production, and there's some songs where it's, you know, literally on a song like October 33, it's literally us practically huddled around Eric on his acoustic guitar, you know, accompanying right. him. So, yeah. October like 33 sound. is such a great concept, too. And and that's the thing, like, and again, this is not a knock on anybody because I love, I'm fine with genre records, right? I'm cool with, uh, even though, for example, the songwriting is really good, Carlton Jamel Smith, that's a genre record. It's an excellent genre record. Um, but it's a genre record. This isn't that to me. And it really was when I started hearing more of the songs when I realized that. Uh, explain the, the the concept behind the meaning of October 33. Um, I'm, I'll do my best because it's, it's lyrically, a, you know, a conceptual kind of tune. But that song, we were pretty much, there was a couple of points where we were done with the record. There was at least two or three points where it was... Um, you know that's that's enough songs. We have we have two albums worth of material, uh, and we only released you know ten songs. But we uh, were always just kind of trading ideas and working on songs. And we had a couple of points where it was like, all right, well, there's our album, you know. But then just things kept happening as a live band, and then we just kind of didn't force it or rush it. And then when we finally actually started to pick up steam as a live band and got management and label interest and all that. Um, and it was finally time to, to wrap up the record and actually get it out into the world. We'd been sitting on it for a while. I finally sat there and heard the whole thing, and, and I just thought, like, I just don't feel like we have that last song uh, for the album. You know, we, uh, we have a bunch of really good songs, but I don't feel like it winds down on side A and side B the way I like records. You know, mm-hmm. even if I'm listening on Spotify or digital however I still like a side A and a side B in my head I just feel like I still imagine so uh, I wanted a something and it's funny because I would have probably myself cooked up something similar to October 33 but I just sent him a few texts to see if he had anything and I, all I said was just kind of on the mellow side and he sent me that demo I was like oh man that's it that's really like there was so much serendipity with us working on the record that I was like, that's exactly kind of the, the feel of what I was hearing. Um, so, so he brought that, uh, he showed up with his acoustic guitar. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure he's, that's a live vocal take. I think we sang, we may have fixed one thing cause of a mic issue, but other than that, I mean, that's like, that's him live on acoustic guitar and vocals and 
we, you know, there was, uh, we, we, it was like, I remember it was a morning session. Uh, and I mean, it was a really personal, uh, lyrical concept for him. It's, it's, it's basically, and I'm, I'm not, I may not even be doing this justice, but it's him going back and talking to his younger self. And, and it's, there's, a, there's this particular date in October. I'm not sure what the, uh, symbolism of, of 33. He may have just been playing and having fun with, you know, making, uh, things a little more abstract, but there was a particular, uh, moment in his life where that's him going back to telling himself everything's going to be okay. And just giving himself kind of some advice, mm-hmm. which is not at all what I thought. I had the lyrics printed. He left the lyrics written there in my studio. So I'd read them all the time. And I thought it was, you know, because he tends to write, uh, you know, some love jams. I thought it was him talking to a woman and uh, no, it's actually him going back and talking to himself, which is, you know, definitely kind of a heavy, heavy concept. But, uh, then when I started listening to it, knowing what he was talking about, that vocal performance to me was so intense. We, uh, that was supposed to be just a scratch guide vocal. And he came back in and we tried to rethink it and it just wasn't happening. Like it happened that morning. So I just left it. There's all kinds of noise and the mics and, hiss and whatever but man I'm like about that feeling that you get off the recording I've got your number lonely October 33 I wear it on my soul's back like fat 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 and I can hear the brass ring I hear it in the nosebleeds where you once felt a cold breeze think it was Halloween I've got your number lonely, October 33, that's cold facts, fat, 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 holds me down, like you know how dark, holds me now, like you know my guy, got your number
I have like three different things I could ask you based off what you just told me. But I, I, one of the things that really struck me, that's an abstract concept, right, of going back and talking to your younger self. But it being a specific date and being a specific date that could never happen, October 33rd is a, is a, 33rd is a date that doesn't happen, which reminded me of when you told me that black pumas don't exist. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, it's yeah, a, yeah. that's a real, I guess maybe I'd like you to, to kind of go into the name of the band because you've told me that before when you came on the radio show. And I love that concept. There is no such thing as a black puma. Yeah, like we like that sense of a uh, mystery. And again, it was one of those things we just never really kind of discussed too much. Things were just happening so naturally uh, between us conceptually that uh, it wasn't really until our manager pointed out um Man, you guys have done a great job keeping this kind of sense of mystery around the whole thing. I was like, have we? <laughs> That's cool, cool. And he was like, yeah, we should run with that. And, you know, because I, I didn't realize that was going to become a, a thing. But, yeah, I, I liked that. You know, I liked uh, the, the idea of, um, you know, because it's, it's 2019 and you can Google and find out anything you want about everybody. And there's no uh, kind of mystery or, or like... Uh, you know, to anything. You can find out anything. And I like a little bit of mystery, a little bit of nuance, a little bit of uh, leaving people kind of wanting more and trying to figure out, you know, uh, something on their own. So, yeah, there was there was that, that theme for sure with us of just not, you know, giving everything away and, and uh, making you kind of uh, think or dig a little deeper. I, I know a lot about you and I know what your influences are and we've been friends for a long time. And uh, you and I think the same ways about a lot of things musically. And you were talking earlier about the album and it needing a finishing track and the way side A winds down and the way that side B winds down. So when the when the, the record came out, I had pre-ordered the vinyl because I was like, I want this on vinyl. This is, uh, you know, I've got, I got this new record player downstairs in my living room now, so it's easier for me to play records. So I'm not just up in my upstairs studio all the time whenever I want to hear records. So I was like, I have more things I want to experience with my vinyl. And I ordered the record, and when it came in, my wife was out of town with my daughter. They went to Atlanta for the weekend because my daughter's really into Billie Eilish. And ah, that's, that's like a, a woman trip and all that, and they're going to do that, and I think that's cool. So I ended up spending a lot of time that weekend with your record. And listening to it downstairs and enjoying it. And one of the things that struck me was I felt like side A and side B, not that it, they were apart from one another, but they felt like two almost completely different records to me. The way that the sides were sequenced and uh, all of it is Black Pumas, but they're just they just feel like two very different records to me. And I'm wondering if you felt that way or how you saw this record as a whole being tied together or the sequencing of the songs from side A to side B, et cetera. I kind of imagined, um, uh, I didn't, I didn't really intend for the, for both sides to be completely different, but I definitely imagined the second half leaning a little bit more on the acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like, uh, the way, um, I know it's, it's, you know, kind of a, cliche to come to reference the Beatles, but I mean, I like the way the, the, you know, kind of later Beatles work was like that in that it was, uh, you know, especially something like Abbey Road where like the whole second side seems like it's almost a separate album from the first side. And, uh, so there was a little bit of that for sure. It was a little bit of like the way that side two starts with stay gold reminds me of, uh, I really imagine something of like how, of a George Harrison song starting, you know, uh, a side B of a Beatles mm-hmm. album. Or right, something. right. I wanted it to feel just completely different. And um, again, that's that was a, you know, that kind of Beatles Abbey Road influence where like side A sort of fades out and then just side B comes out with something else altogether. So yeah, there was a little bit of that for sure. You know, I definitely wanted the second side to almost feel like more of an acoustic trip versus the heavy, like the dense kind of hip hop production. Did um did Eric have a strong feeling on that, or is he like, uh, hey, Adrian, you've produced a jillion records, you've been a band leader, you run with this. Did you guys have discussions about how you wanted that to be? Um, as far as big picture album stuff, he definitely was uh, was leaning on me, I think, you know, having a, a little bit more experience. You know, when it gets into the actual songs and, and lyrics and those kinds of concepts, he definitely had a lot, a lot of feedback, but I think he, he trusted me with the overall production um, 
of uh, of this record, you know, as a debut. I can't tell you how much. I mean, there's there's a lot of songs I love on this record. But I can't tell you how much I love "Sweet Conversations," and when it's the last song on the record, and it's a very delicate song. It's an acoustic song, but there's just there's texture to it um, beyond just being a delicate song, and it's a great way to end a record. Uh, and I'm curious about the recording of that particular song. Like, what can you tell me about how you guys went about recording that song and what, when you're putting your producer hat on, what you're thinking about what that song needs to be? Yeah, yeah. So, so originally that ended side A and I was looking for something to end side B. And that's when I asked him about, uh, about another song. We recorded October 33. That one came out so strong that I swapped them. I was like, oh, okay, well, October 33 is now the end of side A and, and three conversations at uh, end of side B. So Eric lives in a, a house with, a couple other musicians. One um, is uh, a guy who plays with Charlie Crockett. So there, and um, who I believe is based, who started in Dallas, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Charlie Crockett come from Dallas. I think he's an eight one seven guy. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, his other roommate is guy Josh Blue, the mutual friend of ours, and he plays with a handful of bands as well. And I believe there may have been one other roommate, but they're always kind of hosting their own little jams in the living room, and they record. Eric records everything on his phone. And uh, he's always sending me ideas that they're working on. And, and I think at this point, uh, I've been doing it long enough to, you know, you always hear stories about uh, Dr. Dre or whoever kind of, uh, you know, having his, his crew of people around working on stuff. And if he hears something, he'll, like, grab it, <laughs> you know. And that's, that's now a Dr. Dre. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, obviously a bit of an extreme example. But Eric was always sending me cool jams from their living room and stuff and and him and Josh uh, one of his roommates are always working on ideas and Eric would always kind of play me those things and that one was an idea that they actually uh, worked on in their living room that I really dug and I always asked him about it and then uh, Josh Blue, his, his roommate is actually an engineer too so they actually cut it at his studio and he sent it to me and was like yeah re-record this do whatever you know do what you gotta do I'd love to have it on the album so we re-recorded it in my studio, and I uh, I felt like Josh's version was better than mine, so I actually just straight mix, got Josh's files, mixed them, and I, I'm not on that song at all. All I did was mix. Uh, so yeah, I didn't even play on that song. <laughs> Funny enough. That's uh, so that that was my next question was how much of this album was recorded at your place? Every other song, uh, except for that one. And it but ends the album. The one t- I'm sorry. And it ends the album. Yeah, man, you know, at this point, I'm like, whatever is best for the record, I, I think my, uh, uh, you know, my ego's uh, not going to get bruised. And and, uh, and I honestly, just, again, it was back to that, like, to me, there's, you can have all the best mics in the world and all the best gear and whatever, but it's really, it comes, it comes down to the song, the performance, the musicians. And when we tried to re-record that in my studio under a more controlled uh, environment, I just felt like it lost the magic and the intimacy of that of that recording that they did here in Israel. And um, yeah, all I did was uh, get it, mix it to, to sound like to match the rest of the record. And I I didn't even force myself on. I didn't even put a guitar on there or anything. So uh, I was just happy with that and uh, being the last song on the record. And again, it had this moment that I just could, I couldn't recreate it. You know, it had you had kind of had to be there in the moment. Yeah, that's uh, uh, and there's so many great stories like that throughout music history where I don't know sometimes they're called happy accidents or, or whatever that is, but when you hear it and feel it, you know it, and there's no reason to to kind of redo it. Study going, just try. 
my soul study proving won't you speak with me spirit if we can't let this love run dry And I can't help but sit here and think, my God, there's that much other great Black Pumas material that I haven't heard yet. How do you feel about this unreleased material that you're sitting on? How many songs do you have recorded? So from that, from the original uh, album, that songs that are mastered, done in the can that are just not out, there's probably another uh, five or six that are like just completely done, mastered and sitting in a Dropbox. And then we have uh, a maybe six or seven that are more kind of in demo stages, you know, just a little bit more rougher recordings. But there, it was it was tough to narrow it down for sure. Um, at some point, you know, we'll start kind of putting some of these other ones out. But there was there was a couple of things we pulled off at the last minute that uh, just didn't really seem like they should be on our debut record. But they're songs that we probably play live and. And man, there, there's some new stuff that we've been writing that's just been jamming. That's that's kind of more in the demo stage, but yeah, we got we got some jams coming for sure. When you're saying new stuff that you're you're working on and, and demoing, are you hearing the production sound? Is it is it within the realm of what you guys are already doing, or because you've done a lot of different styled things? And that's I think that's the thing about people that are you're in my age that grew up with hip hop and some of that production aesthetic, but. You're such an accomplished musician that's done so many different things. You've won a Grammy. Was your Grammy was for was it experimental Latin? What was the? It was a uh, like a kind of a convoluted category of Latin rock. It was it was like they combined three categories of Latin into that year or two years. So it was like urban, alternative, Latin rock. I don't remember. It was like three categories in one of Latin music. And that was probably, is that something that you would consider, that was a Grupo record, and is that your quote-unquote psychedelic Grupo record, or how would you describe that Grupo Fantasma record? Yeah, there was two in particular that I produced. Both, uh, the first one got nominated for a Grammy, and the second one won a Grammy. Um, yeah, that was, the second one was, um, the first one that I produced, I did not engineer, we did it at a friend's spot, and that was the one where I really felt like we finally hit our groove, um, with what the band, uh, you know, what I the way I kind of heard the band sounding on record, and um, and then the second one was more of an experiment. We actually rented a house and set up a studio in there. I had no idea what we were doing, and um, <laughs> you know, it took us. I think seventy five percent of the time was trying to get the studio to work, and then the rest of the time was spent <laughs> making a record. But yeah, we uh, that was a little bit more, um, a little bit, a little bit of the psychedelic touch but we were going for this kind of a uh, really kind of roomy like grimy almost uh i don't know if you're familiar with the uh los lobos offshoot uh latin playboys uh yes i well i don't know their material but i have heard of them yeah it's kind of like you know everything's kind of slightly here and there like distorted and run through you know vocals are run through amplifiers and it's just kind of got this like experimental trip and that was kind of the the trip we were on in that studio. We were running everything through speakers and then blasting them into a room and then putting a microphone on that and just doing like, you know, experimenting with things like that. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to digress on Grupo stuff. I just, you know, think you have such an interesting musical history and I like talking about all that, but I want to get back to the unreleased Puma stuff, right? Like, what are you going to do with it? You going to re-record it? Group it with other new songs you haven't recorded? Is it one-off singles? What's the plan with that stuff? So there's like five or six songs that are that are done from the first sessions that actually sound like B-sides from this record. But I I felt like between that and um, because that and the Look at My Soul record were done roughly at the same time. Um, you know the palette that I was using um, was is uh, sort of a little bit similar more just kind of with the instruments and you know sounds i was using not not so much with the songwriting but so to me i uh i kind of cut it off there and, and i'm trying to with these new demos when we make a demo most of the time or i, I me personally most of the time i'm shooting for you know swinging for the fences like it's going to be the, the version but sometimes we you know make kind of quicker demos knowing when we re-record it but these new songs that we're working on, I'm trying to 
shake up the palette a little bit. And ideally, I think what I would like to do for a new full-length album is actually sit down and concentrate to at least, uh, you know, with some of these demos, at least try and re-record them and try, you know, shake up the palette a little bit and just kind of uh, try to make sure that it sounds a, a little bit different um, from a kind of engineering and producing standpoint. But if we don't top the demo, I'm again, man, I'm not above just putting up the demo, you know, mm-hmm. as, as I've mentioned a couple of times. You went to Europe in May, I believe, or maybe it was early June, and you opened up for the heavy, is if I yeah, recall yeah. correctly. How was that tour, and how were you guys received? Oh, man, it was amazing. Uh, just the perfect crowd. Um, the band, the, the heavy guys, couldn't be any cooler. Uh, really cool. That, I feel like that's a, a good band that's doing... Um, uh, you know, contemporary kind of a production that could, you know, that could be come on next to a boom bap record, but also hold its own next to an old soul record. Right. So I really respected those guys for that. And, um, and uh, yeah, it just couldn't have been any more perfect. They were cool. You know, the, the shows were all pretty much sold out and just a good fit musically. And it's good for us to, to get out there. So yeah, that's our second time in Europe and we'll be going back a third time in a couple months. You have such an interesting network uh, of musicians and friends and people in the business because you've been doing this for so long and done so many cool and interesting things. What kind of feedback have you gotten from people on the Black Pumas that may be different than other things that you've done before, or is it uh, kind of in a similar vein? What 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 are you hearing from people about what you're doing? Um, you know, everything from people maybe the most accessible thing. Uh, I've ever done to, you know, finally coming full circle with all the ideas and directions and influences that I've had, you know, those are kind of the two of the main, um, things I've been getting, but, you know, honestly, uh, you know, when the record came out, um, all the Grupo guys who, you know, I used to, for people who don't know, I was in a band called Google Phantasma that Skin mentioned, and I left the band about six years ago, maybe, maybe seven, and, uh, still, play with those guys in another band and they're still, you know, like my best friends, but they, um, were all in, in Russia, I believe on tour when this record came out and I was getting texts, you know, I don't, we're not, we're close, but we're not close to where they're constantly texting me about music I'm working on or anything like that. But man, a lot of those guys even reached out to say that they really were digging the record out there and it meant a lot, you know, if, uh, if people, uh, um, from, you know, all kinds of, uh, different places that I've worked in and been through that have been, uh, reaching out really kind of tell me it's a good record. I've, uh, I think I've heard just about everything that you've done and I'm a big fan of almost all that you do because we have some similar sensibilities and things like that. Like, I mean, even for example, I still put on the Akote soul sound stuff and I love that stuff. And I, you know, as a huge brownout fan, but this really was, I, I can't remember exactly how I was telling people about it, but it was like, man, this is kind of the biggest thing he's done, I think. And I, I didn't really fully know what that meant, but I was just like, it just felt like the biggest thing where, and I can't, I have yet to rem- uh, recommend it to somebody that, that were like, oh my God, this is great. Who are these people? What is this? And so I was just curious if other people that, you know, that are intimately familiar with all the different things you've done, how they felt about it. Like, how does your wife feel about it, for example? Yeah, you know, she she's heard so, so much and been through the, you know, up and down the roller coaster with me on so many things. I mean, she absolutely loves it, but, you know, I think she has uh, been doing this for so long with me that, uh, or been by my side when I'm doing, you know, this when I'm doing this music thing for so long that she knows that we, you know, it's, it's hard to get, uh, too excited or, I mean, I'm excited and everybody's excited for sure, but like, can't get ahead of ourselves with this. So, uh, but I think what I, what I like about this and that I've been, you know, a part of other projects, um, in bands and things is, uh, is that this has like really pure intentions. You know, I feel like, um, if, if we had never become a band, I mean, we might have, three full albums worth of stuff like this. And we'd probably still be just working casually on it. You know, there, we, we never, I mean, it was months that went by, but before Eric and I said, um, you know, what are we going to do with this? We were just having fun. It's funny. Cause Eric said something the other day when we were in Europe about, um, 
he was like, man, we need to record some new songs. I need something new to listen to. And I was like, oh, you know, we're, we're ultimately making these songs for us, something for us to jam on, <laughs> you know, right. uh, which is, and I've been part of other bands where like the industry folk came in early on and, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say people blowing hot air, but I think just kind of making you, uh, you know, giving, uh, making you feel like, a lot of pressure in terms of what you're trying to do for the, you know, for in the music industry and whatever. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, this came out of genuinely just us working on songs. I, I really just didn't even, uh, it wasn't like I set up this industry showcase or, or, you know, sent it to, um, people I know in the industry. And I, and I do know a lot of people, but I just really wanted to keep this a little bit pure yeah, or a little bit more pure. And I think at this point here we are and, and, um, the industry has come around for sure, you know, but, uh, I think ultimately at the end of the day that, that we just enjoyed making this. How old are your girls? 13 and nine. What are Billie they? Eilish fans for sure. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say like, that's my daughter's world is Khalid and Billie Eilish. And, oh, yeah. and so, you know, it sounds like your daughters have very typical tween kind of taste there. What do they think of their dad's music? They love it. It's funny because they're so used to it and they're so used to uh, coming to shows and being backstage and whatever that they, uh, I don't know that they fully uh, get it all in context. You know, they're still just like going to work with dad day mm -hmm. kind of situation. Right. But uh, every once in a while, you know, they came and, and my family came up to Canada for a couple of days um, when I was playing out there just a few days ago. And they came and saw me at the Montreal Jazz Festival and the, uh, and a festival in Quebec um, City, and I think them kind of looking around and seeing the crowd reacting and uh, to all this, you know, kind of uh, made it a little bit more exciting for them. There's every once in a while, there's little things where, um, you know, in my career where they actually can re that they can actually relate to. They're really into this. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Cuco. No, Cuco's this uh, this Mexican American kid from. Uh, LA I believe and he um, has been just kind of making this like kind of sort of bedroom pop music all on his laptop kind of with like bilingual um, basically he's 20 years old and kind of been doing it all by himself he just signed like a seven figure deal with Interscope Records and Whoa. I'm a music director for a concert in August in uh, New York and I worked with him last year on the same show and you know, every once in a while, there, there's certain little things that are cool for them. Where I'm like, you know, I'm texting with Google's manager, and they think that's cool. <laughs> right, they, right. They definitely love love uh, the Puma stuff. They got to see the show. My, I think, you know, my wife has uh, been patient through me, you know, writing lots of waves and working on lots of uh, music. But she 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 sees, you know, she when she sees something special, she knows what it is, and she's been really supportive of it. I think about all the different – I retell some of the print stories you've told me because uh, I just think that's so fascinating to be in the world of his world for a while, you know, because his world is so special and touched so many different people. Do, how, how often do you – and, I, and I, first of all, I'm probably getting ahead of myself – Kind of explain to our listening audience what your associations were with Prince and, and what that meant to you or, or how that shaped you. Yeah, when um, I think I was maybe 20, I might have been 29 or something, uh, and maybe 28, 29, uh, my band, Google Fantasma, that I was in, we got uh, approached to play. Prince had a club in Las Vegas, he had a residency. Uh, at the Rio Hotel, and he he curated the music from Wednesday through Saturday, and they had a Latin night on Thursdays. Uh, long story short, the band one band couldn't make it on a on a Thanksgiving night on a Thursday, so we filled in, and before we knew it, we were we became the house band there on Thursdays, and then we became his backing band for years on and off. We were kind of collaborators with him and rehearsed with him many times. Um, played many shows and we're just in the room. I mean, again, it just happened from one day to the next. Uh, next thing you know, we were, we were playing with Prince. I, uh, uh, and yeah, it's funny. We just played uh, Minneapolis last year. And man, I, I swear I'm not uh, Mr. Like Ghost Hunter or, or any sort of, uh, you know, 
reading energies in the room or anything, but we played a show in Minneapolis, and at some point I, I felt this chill come over me um, while mid-gig. I mean, I, I think that might be top three Black Pumas gigs we ever played. This was in 2018, and uh, we played there, and I, I mean, I swear we just played, like, the show one of our best shows ever and I, I had this chill come over me like physically on stage and I just remember kind of looking up and thinking you know if he if Prince was alive he'd probably be here uh, and I, I swear I had this like just really weird feeling of like man he, he it's like he was there in spirit or something and I have not you know again I'm not uh, I don't get too too uh, hippy dippy like that but it was, I had this uh, this kind of intense feeling thinking you know this was something he'd probably be up on dude he I, I, was, I was thinking about that because you've there's there's so many amazing stories about him, but the idea that he's just somewhere observing, you know what I'm saying? Just like mm-hmm. like as a as a as a music person, like you don't even realize he's watching you and he's backstage somewhere watching and observing and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, uh, yeah. that that the, the the idea that that was happening spiritually is a really interesting idea, especially for uh-huh. a person like that. But I just can't imagine being in that person's orbit and how much it would influence your life because he was such an amazing human walking the planet earth. I mean, good God, it's Prince. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I, I'm sometimes I kind of have to remind myself like, man, I was, I'm a, you know, a footnote in the, in Prince music history. And man, that's, that's something that's special. And, you know, I, I always put it to people like, it was like, we were a really good, um, uh, college basketball team. And it was like from one day to the next, like, hey, now you're in the NBA Finals. <laughs> right, right. The best, you know, like a, a pretty good, you know, top 25 college basketball team thrown into playing the in the NBA Finals uh, from one day to the next. So that was like, for us. It was like we didn't have time to adapt or anything. It was like he took our whole team. He didn't uh, poach the best two guys or anything. I mean, he literally took the entire band and threw us in with his band and we're like, okay, this is your world now. So like, we just had no choice but to, to step up and perform, you know? And that was, uh, man, that's just something that's just education that you can't, uh, even explain, you know, that's years and years and years and years worth of experience overnight. Uh, and you know, that gave us confidence. And I think, uh, that that was a huge huge push in our career and our confidence and that that was that gave me personally a lot of confidence you know and that knowing like hey man if this guy if Prince is trusting me on stage on guitar you know I can hang with anybody absolutely it, you told me an incredible story about not even knowing a gig you were going to play and he flew you guys in and y'all were playing like the after party for the Golden Globes or something and J Lo and you know Puff Daddy are there dancing and Justin Timberlake. Am I? I'm kind of getting the story right, aren't I? No, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. So, I, uh, our first actual gig backing him. So we played many, many of those Thursdays. Was it our first one or our second one? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, the first one because when do the Golden Globes happen? Is that January? Is that before the Super Bowl? Man, I'm gonna have to pull up the internet. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna say yes. I believe it's in like January or maybe it's right after, but that was our first actual gig. Um, or was it our second one, Super Bowl weekend? It was our first or second gig ever actually just playing with him. And we got, well, we used to just go and do Las Vegas and he would come jam with us and whatever. But um, we got a call to be, we had just come home from Las Vegas and he, uh, we had, so I, I actually stayed a couple of extra days with my family and my wife and and my daughter came up, and um, we had just landed. Our manager called and said, where are you? I was like, oh, well, we're at the library with my daughter. And he was like, how fast can you get to the airport? Prince wants you guys at the airport today, like right now, for some for something. We didn't know what it was. We got there and um, showed up to the uh, well, hotel. Was that the hotel from Pretty Woman, whatever that hotel is called. Um, and got up there. He had a huge suite rented out. There was a little tiny stage in the corner of a hotel suite. All our equipment was there. We got there, and his sound guy, some of his crew were there, and we were like, so what's going on? And they, no, nobody knew. They were like, we have no idea. They, you know, they, they hardly ever knew what they were doing. It was just like, <laughs> so crazy. Show up and wait for Prince to make show up and tell everybody what to do and make magic, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, they were like, man, we, you're just as good as ours. They just told us to set you guys up. And, uh, 
you know, and sound check you guys. are like, all right. So then I, I remember asking the sound man, so are we opening? And then, uh, and then they played after us. He was like, no, his, his band's not here. He's like, I think it's just you guys and him. And I remember his amp and his guitar and all that was set up right next to mine. And I was like, us and him? And he said, yeah. He's like, I'm pretty sure it's just you guys tonight. And I showed up, he showed up. Um, uh, a little bit after the sound check, and yeah, he's just like, yeah, why don't you guys just play? And we're like, we're kind of embarrassed. Like, we didn't really get to learn a bunch of your songs. We didn't know what we were doing. He's like, no, I want to play with you guys. So he was like, just play your, do your thing, play your music, and uh, let's play some James Brown. Let's have some fun. Let's play some Santana, and let's play some covers. And uh, and let me just play with you guys. <laughs> so we were just like, okay, <laughs> that's and, so insane. Yeah, the party was like nothing but. A-list celebrities, just like all of them. That was the night that, uh, I don't know how many times she's done this, but I do remember that Lindsay Lohan went into rehab leaving that party. You're kidding me. uh, Yeah, yeah. So J-Lo was, it was in a hotel room suite. So, I mean, you know, even in Beverly Hills, a hotel room suite is not that massive. It was still like, I don't know, 100 people in there maybe. And just, there was no stage. We were just kind of in the corner. Uh, so, yeah, it was, like, literally all A-list celebrities, and J-Lo was right in front of me, and she was going to climb some speakers to watch us, and Puffy was there, and just, I mean, like, you literally, you name it, and they were there. Uh, and that was our first time just thrown into the deep end to play with Chris. God, that's such so, an yeah, amazing story. Kind of that, again, it's just, like, literally dropping on the NBA Finals game seven, and, like, you know, play <laughs> right see what, see what you can do lebron gets villanova let's go great conversations and great music with my buddy adrian quesada of the black pumas i hope you enjoyed it uh, make sure and subscribe to Radios and Tunnels via whatever podcast platform that you like to use. A couple people I want to send a shout-out to. Thanks to Eric with Brownouts Management for helping us get the rights to the Brownout stuff. In fact, the tune you're listening to right now is called Beretta, and it's on that same album that Laredo 77 is on that we started the podcast off with. Also want to thank the Black Pumas Management and the folks at ATO Records and Coal Mine Records for allowing me to use some of this great Black Pumas music on this podcast. Ryan over at 10 Adams was a huge help. And I'd like to apologize to Charlie Crockett. In the moment, I said he was an 817 guy, and he's clearly a 214 guy. So I want to apologize to all the pertinent area codes in the DFW area. You can always hear the Ben and Skin Show weekdays 3 to 7 on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas using the radio.com app. We do a sports talk show. We'd love to get your ears every now and then. And, of course, big thanks to KT for producing. And, as always, huge thanks to the Jizza for the inspiration.